Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is Trainer Chip Ritchie, joined here as always by my co-host Azul GG. What's going on, Azul? How we doing? How's your past week been, man? I'm doing pretty good. Um, been uh, busy, unfortunately, not making content this week. Uh, got some testing in for Worlds. Uh, and worked on some other stuff around the house. So I've yeah, been busy with that kind of stuff. But uh, good week overall. Solid. Getting excited to head to uh, head to London a little bit less than a, a little bit less than a week now. Or about a week now. I think I leave Monday. So yeah, about a week now. I'll head to uh, head to London. So I'm excited for that. How about you, Chip? How was, uh, how's your week been? Week's been pretty good. Just doing a lot of preparing for the baby. Uh, a lot of putting the last few things together for the nursery. Last few packages coming in of things we've ordered online that we needed still. Um, yeah, just getting it all ready. Uh, Brooke will be 37 weeks this week. So that's full term, which means, uh, you know, 40 weeks is like expected due date is supposed to be September 1st, but once you're 37 weeks, it could really could be any time could be baby time. So it's it's pretty (laughs) wild. We'll see what happens. See, uh, I think Brooke is kind of hoping that he stays in there and cooks a little bit longer, (laughs) you know, (laughs) as long as possible. And then we'll, you know, cross the bridge when we get there, when it's been, 40 weeks but yeah we're excited man it's it's uh becoming more and more real by the day uh for sure so <laughs> I can only imagine yeah we're, we're looking forward to it though it's a very exciting time but we're not here to talk about babies and boring stuff like that we're here to talk about the real important stuff of life the pokemon trading card game and we got plenty to talk about this week of course worlds is coming up In just about a week and a half, like Azul was mentioning, he's getting ready to travel out soon. We'll kick off the episode this week, though, talking about the Pokemon trading card game live. There was a little bit of an update from the Pokemon company, a letter to the community. So we'll definitely read that and give our thoughts on that. There's also a little bit of a survey. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. We want to talk about an online tournament that took place last week. We actually wanted to talk about this last week on last week's episode, but uh, just didn't end up having enough time. There was a lot going on last week. So yeah, we'll talk about this online tournament that happened, the Tournament of Champions that really kind of ended up being a little bit of a flop for what it could have been and I think what the organizers were hoping it was going to be. We'll, of course, have Guess That Flavor Text, everyone's favorite segment. I loved reading all the YouTube comments last week of people saying they got their first flavor text right and Azul just <laughs> couldn't quite get there. But it'll be my turn to guess this week, so we'll see what happens. And then we'll close out this week's episode with our world's meta prediction, meta discussion. We'll give our thoughts on the different decks, all the top like 10 or so decks that we think could show up at the world championships in numbers that we think people will choose to play, how we feel about them personally, if we could see ourselves playing them, if we were in a certain player's position, day one, day two, all those types of things. And we'll also be pulling a few questions from our listeners that we got over on Twitter. We'll be doing some more questions next week. So if you have a question in regards to the world championships, be sure to interact over on the Twitter Leave us a question, or you can leave a question in the comments down below. Azul, you ready to hop into this thing? Yeah, let's jump into it. And we're starting off with uh, talking about PTCG Live. A pretty big, I th- you said a little bit of news. I think this is a big deal. Um, but, um, I mean, let's talk about uh, PTCG Live in general. So it released back, the beta released back in March. I think so, yes. Is that right? March, yeah. Uh, exclusively to Canada and everyone, else, and everyone who moved to Canada uh, during 
that via uh, a VPN. <laughs> via a VPN. Um, it was cold but, up in Canada, bro. I don't. I mean, it was for it me was at cold. least. I, did you? Was it cold up there for you? You see any mooses? Moose? Meese? Moose? I think it's meese. Is it moose? Yeah. I think. No, I think the moose. plural of moose is moose. It is moose. Yes, I've been through this before. Um, <laughs> it's not meese. Although I do use that term. I was actually just speaking about about that. Um, so when I was in Hawaii, there was a lot of mongoose or ma- they're called the plural of mongoose is mangies. And I was like, I was like Mooses joking around nieces. about it. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was joking around about that because of the moose meese thing. Um, when we got there, but then at some point we kind of looked it up and yeah, the plural of, uh, of mongoose is mangies. Um, which I don't know, just like literally just went through my head right there. when I was in Hawaii. But there was, there was, there was mangies everywhere. Like they were literally, they were everywhere. There was like, they were like, uh, squirrels. Um, That's wild. Yeah, there's a lot of mangies. They're very small too. They're smaller than I thought too. Um, but yeah, so PTCG Live releases in in March, exclusive to Canadians and anyone else who wanted to uh, VPN to Canada. So not too exclusive. Um, and had a lot of issues on release. A lot of issues. Uh, and I think the biggest thing for me back then was the fact that they took your cards. They took your PTCGO collection. They confidently took your PTCGO collection, limiting extremely limiting your way to play the pokemon trading card game not online but like you know on your computer digitally, or whatever yeah. uh digitally and then putting you into a pretty pretty bad experience it was just not a good experience right i think that was the biggest thing for me is they just took your cards and they haven't stopped doing that they've still been taking people's collections removing them instead of you know just giving everyone an unlocked account who wants to play in the beta which is what they probably should do they're pretty invested into this route now so maybe they just have to kind of go with it at this point so that was my biggest thing when it first uh released and of course everyone had so everyone had their own issues you know with the game you know mine was the bugs not being fixed enough the fact that they took everyone's collections and kind of limited your ability to play the game but then not putting you in an experience where you don't even want to play the game anymore right um and that's the way it's been for a while i haven't been on pdc when was the last time you logged into pdcg live i haven't logged into pdcg live in yeah i was maybe i was maybe invested into it for like a month i think so march to april i don't think i last i don't think i lasted a full month I it was how around long I the same for me i i did just log back in uh a couple days ago because on the survey which we'll talk about here in a moment which i did fill out the survey as we'll fill it out as well yeah. um it asks what your trainer account level was on ptcg live and i couldn't remember exactly what i was uh so i just logged back in to check it uh, check it out and um I did not miss it. I was. Uh, <laughs> things changed happy. at all? Well, you know, it, I logged back in and I got a ton of rewards because I had never claimed my battle pass rewards from that I had earned or whatever, I think, or and the battle pass like ended up ending from that early beta period. Um, also got my ranked ladder rewards as well. But then I looked at like the new battle pass and the new ranked ladder rewards, and I think all of the rewards were new stuff and then also you can still get the stuff from the last months uh, or the last set cycles um rewards program so like uh the the big reward at the end of the battle pass w- um was a arceus was it the deck box or was it the sleeves i can't remember exactly it was, it was the, a- the whole deck it was the whole deck wasn't it or no no, no it was the, it was the sleeves in the deck box it was a cosmetic for sure i think it was yeah. the, uh, or maybe it was a shaman coin or something like that um, but whatever it was, it, it's it in addition to like the Palkia coin or the tier 70 reward on the current battle pass, which I thought was kind of funny. But uh, anyway, yeah. So people, you know, 
had a bunch of problems with the game. One of my biggest issues with the game is like I just it it felt so clunky to play. Yeah, it's slow. It, the games took a lot longer. The actions did not feel as snappy as they did on CGO. The animations were terrible, and honestly, just graphically, the game doesn't look the best to me. Which is, I mean kind of a big deal right it's like the yeah. most important thing is that it functions and plays well and then subsequent to that should be it should be attractive and look good uh but i honestly think like i, I it was andrew mahone i think tweeted out something a few months ago that had a screenshot of magic online it had a screenshot of hearthstone it had a screenshot of the Yu-Gi-Oh master duel game and how these boards look just amazing and they've got like animations and backgrounds like just all kinds of stuff going on and then the ptcg live board just is plain and so <laughs> it's just really disappointing for how much we love the pokemon trading card game for the beta to have gone as poorly as it did and thing bu bugs did not get fixed as quickly as we were hoping they would that was like my big hope with it being now an in-house development process as opposed to being developed by a third-party studio, which was Direwolf Digital, who develops uh, the Pokemon trading card game online, which is the game that pretty much everyone has gone back to playing now. Um, I was hoping that since it was an in-house development process, it was be being developed by people at the Pokemon Company International, that bugs would get fixed in a day. Like, they, it would be so fast. And then, apparently, Silene was bugged from the day it came out in <laughs> Astral Radiance, and it was bugged for two months. And this yeah. is, like, a super relevant card. It got top four at the North American International Championships. People are trying to test for worlds, and they can't use this uh, really important card. And then there's been a ton of other bugs that have popped up over the last couple months, like people being able to just instantly win games by... Uh, there was like some exploit where you could queue in with just one basic Pokemon that was like an expanded legal Pokemon or something yeah. like that onto the standard ladder and the game wouldn't work. And so it would just give you the win because it's like the game didn't know what to do. It's like, okay, this person doesn't have a legal deck. Uh, here you go. Here's your ladder points. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if the other person got the loss. Or was I, it, I wonder if it was win-win or like win-loss. That's a good question, honestly. If it just gave both people the 20 uh, the twenty battle pass or whatever, yeah. not battle pass, uh, ranked ladder points. But... Also, that was another things. thing that was a disappointment to me was that the ranked ladder was not really a ranked yeah. ladder. It's just like if you won, you got 20 points. If you lost, you lost 20 points. And that's just not how a ranked system works. That's just playing. It's pretty much the same as PCGO. Yeah, and even when you got up to the highest rank, they didn't give you a number like, oh, you're rank 100 or 200. And it, and it does definitely come down to when there's no like ELO uh, behind it. It is like a very basic ELO system, I guess, right? Like you win, you get some, you lose, you lose some, but it's right. not based on your opponent's current rank, which it should be, especially once you get to that highest rank. If Hearthstone is basically you win your way up to uh, Hearthstone is basically like the current rank system in um, on PDC July, but when you get to uh, Legend, that's where it turns into ELO, where it turns into right. like you have a number, and if you beat someone who's like rank one, you'll get a bunch of of rating or you'll, you'll 
bunch of jump up a bunch of ranks and if you uh you know play against someone worse than you or equal to you you know it'll be like less or whatever if you beat them you get less and so, you know what's crazy um, about that is that is the exact way that the ranking works for the pokemon video game that's the way the ranking works for pokemon unite that's the way the ranking works for pokemon go even all of these <laughs> games have a system in place just like that where as you're once you get to the highest rank in the video game, it's like Master Ball tier. In Unite, it's also Master Ball tier. Um, and I think in Pokemon Go, it's like Legend or something like that, which I think is similar to what it is in uh, like um, League of Legends and stuff like that is like the highest rank. Um, it tells you an actual number in yep. Unite and in the Pokemon video game. It tells you your actual rank. You are... 2000th in the world or you are 157th or you are first in the world at this time and if you play someone who has a higher rank than you you lose more points if you play someone who or like depending on if you win or lose right like the rank of your opponent affects your outcome and then in pokemon go it doesn't tell you like what number you are in the world but it shows you what your elo rating is so it'd be like 3030 or something like that yeah and then you would see your opponent's rating of 3045 so they have a little bit higher of a, a rating than you and so your number would go up and down based on that so you don't see like an actual rank but you see a number there um, so it's crazy Wait, that we well, have that in all these other Pokemon games, but not in the yeah. Pokemon TCG. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, so, yeah. And that's what makes something a ranked ladder. What we have on PTCG Live is not, it's just not a ranked ladder. It just isn't. <laughs> you can't even see what you're ranked up against, who you're ranked up against. And I'm sure there is, I'm sure on their end, they can look at who is the person with the most, the highest, who the most points on the thing. But when we can't compare ourselves to them, it's not a ranked ladder. So that's something they need to fix. Like they have to sure. fix that system. It has to become a ranked ladder. Um, and they can't fix it by removing a ranked ladder. You need a ranked ladder in a, like a game like this. You just need it. You just need to have a ranked ladder in the online play of a game like this. It just needs to happen. So they need to get a, they need to get a real ranked ladder on the game. They can't just make it all go to casual. There needs to be a ranked ladder. Um, and all the other like problems we've talked about, like I said, they all kind of, uh, this is what goes back to my initial point of what I thought was the worst about PTC Live. They all kind of compound when it's like, oh, you need a test for worlds and your side lean's bugged and this and this and this. And it, that all kind of compounds when it's like, oh, but I migrated all my cards over to PTCG Live and I can't go play. I, now I can't be like, you know what? This game, it's trash. The bugs are too much. I don't want to handle with the vis uh, the visuals. I don't like them. I'm going to go back and play on PTCGO. You just can't do that because they took your cards, right? So that kind of like compounds everything to just make it the experience that much worse uh, that they were comfortable taking people's collections and then you know if they if they had kept up with it and they they fix the fix the bugs fast make the game flow better which i think is a big thing for both of us is like yeah the, the game just takes so long on pdcg live compared to pdcgo and pdcgo has its own problems with that where it's like things are just too slow so it needs to be faster than pdcgo but it's it was a lot <laughs> it was a lot for sure but it did give us some hope today um I, i'm sure you have it pulled up so the people on yeah. the youtube can see it here chip so if you want to go ahead and and read off that whatever they posted over there or, or talk about start talking about that go for it yeah so pretty much all these things that we've talked about led to a mass exodus from the game everyone who migrated their accounts to ptcg live 
for the most part, m- most people just don't play the game anymore. They migrated their cards, and so they just haven't been playing Pokemon online, or they've been su- a few people have stuck around and suffered, I think, and then several people just uh, have gone back to PTCGO. Yourself, you started a new account, got a bunch of new cards. There's plenty of people who have done that same thing because the experience was so bad. And there's been plenty of outcry from the community. All of the top creators, it feels like at this point, have mentioned how you know, pointed out the problems with the game because they, I mean, they just are problems. It's not even a matter of opinion. There's just things that yeah. are wrong with the game. So yeah, finally, so said, uh, what's that? When you said you, you, when you said you didn't like the visuals, it's okay if like one person yeah. doesn't like something, but when everyone is like, no, the visuals are bad, the bugs need to be fixed faster. Like it's not an opinion, which is like some of the ridiculous responses I saw from people defending PTCG Live. It's like. When, when, it, when it's almost a universal agreement, when you're the minority defending them, they're in, they're just, it's just wrong. Like, there's something wrong with the product. The product needs to be better. Um, and it just needs to be... And, and the, even, like, going back to what you said as well, it's like, um, you know, for you, you felt like, you know, I, if it, as long as it's functioning, that's one thing, uh, even if it doesn't look visually good. But I think for something like PDCG Live, you need both. It needs to be visually good, and it needs to consistently function. They have to keep up with bugs or glitches or whatever unless you want it to just be a flash in the pan. But with how bad the beta's gone, they don't even have that as an option on release anymore because no one's interested in the game anymore. No one cares when it's going to release. They've lost their... There's no hype behind it at all. It was so hype when it first released. Um, there's no There's no hype. There's nothing to look forward to. So they need both to have this thing like be a success and like grow at this point. It has to be visually good. It has to be... You know, the the also the gameplay has to be flowing as well. So a lot to work on. So all these things eventually now, five months after the initial beta release, has led to a letter to the community. And this is not the first letter to the community from the developers. They actually gave us a letter back in May, at the end of May, May 24th, just kind of addressing some of the issues and where they were standing. But today they released some new information. We're going to read through this, give our kind of thoughts. It's about five paragraphs. So we'll kind of break between each paragraph uh, if necessary and kind of give our, our input and thoughts and stuff. So I'll just read through here through it here. Letter to the community. Dear Pokemon TCG fans, thank you all for providing us with your thoughts, feedback, and support during this stage of the Pokemon TCG Live Limited Beta. Today we'd like to share some of the ways we're prioritizing development based on the experiences you've shared with us and with each other in the community. I love the fact that they are wanting to... Like, this is great. Communication between developer and community is necessary. The fact that this is the second communication in five months <laughs> is terrible. Yeah, it's definitely it's not great. They, they could interact be doing... a little bit more on the forums, I think. Yeah. But like as far as like especially with how many problems there have been for this to just be the second address is is not great. Yeah, they could definitely do more as far as that goes. I, I, I like I, I hate giving I don't like to give them credit. I don't like to give Pokemon in general credit for stuff like this, because when you compare it to other card games or just like the world how much the world has evolved in general pokemon is really slow with stuff we've had problems with like tournaments being announced like super super late like after worlds has happened and we haven't even had i we had, we're not we didn't plan to like talk about it or anything but like worlds has like we don't have no idea what's happening with the next season right we have yeah. nothing has come out yet they're getting better about it but they're generally pokemon is generally just really slow with this stuff so i'm not going to give them credit for this for them releasing this statement it does show that they are listening which is good and they are actually going to, it's not not just listening, you know, they didn't just like put out this thing, it's like, okay, guys, we hear you, 
and they say that, you know, they do that a couple more times and they release the same product that they've been working on this whole time. They said, we hear you and we are making changes. So that's good, right? It's a step in the right direction, but I don't want to give them like too much credit for, for, you know, for doing this. Like you said, there should be more communication. A point of feedback we've often received is that players feel the game board layout is too limiting compared with a physical Pokemon TCG match. We've adjusted how cards are presented to players in landscape mode to make for more intuitive gameplay. You can see some of these changes in the example below taken from the version of the game we're currently testing. I'll just make this full screen real quick for the YouTube people to kind of see. This is the original TCG Live layout. We see the two avatars on the left side. The cards, once they get put in the active spot, really are super small, especially when you compare it to PTCGO. And then also when you bench Pokemon, they only show the picture. They don't show the text on the actual Pokemon card once it hits the bench. And then in the updated graphics they've shown today, there is a total change to the way the board looks itself. The white Subway tiles are gone from the middle of the field, replaced by black and gray subway tiles. Uh, but they have filled the space in quite a bit more. The avatars are also noticeably absent. So I don't know if that means they're planning to do away with them completely or if they just won't appear all the time on screen. And whenever they get to the gameplay section, you can see that the cards look slightly bigger. I still think that the active Pokemon is way smaller than it is on PTCGO. So it's a still, you know, yeah. you got to hover over to it to read, which you're going to have to do regardless. You know, it, it is better though. It is better. And you can actually yeah. see the full, space there. You can still see the poke. You can see the full card on the bench. It's not just the picture with the, the HP number. You see the full Pokemon. But if you notice, there is still a ton of dead unused space to the left and right of the cards. Um, just so much of the battlefield is empty. Yeah, what if they just like bumped the discard pile? What if they just like bumped the the discard pile and deck in, and then the prize cards up and then made the bench bigger? Yeah. What if they just did that? I think that would then... look pretty good. And it also makes me wonder too, based on what this says, we've adjusted how the cards are presented to players in landscape mode to make for more intuitive gameplay. Um, this game is being designed for desktop and mobile. That's just and, that means this is just the way it looks for desktop then, right? Right, exactly. So I wonder how this is going to look on mobile because the way they've been designing it for mobile is to play it in vertical mode. Um, I would love it if they would just go to the horizontal option. That's how all other card games are played on mobile is in landscape mode uh, with like your phone being held horizontally. I guess they want people to be able to play it with one hand while they're walking around or something, but um, that's just not how card games usually function on mobile. You know, you're not going to be walking around while you play a card game anyways. It's like stop and think. And yeah. like, there's, there's too much going on. It's not it's like a strategy you know, game. It's not Pokemon Go. Right? Candy Crush. <laughs> candy <laughs> yeah, it's not crush. Pokemon Go. Yeah, unless you're battling someone. But even if you're battling someone in Pokemon Go, you could do that while you're walking. Like, yeah, there's a lot of. They can make the. Yeah, like, bro, even you just got <laughs> Yeah, even from this picture, they could make the basic, the active Pokemon bigger. I mean, I'm sure they're working on it. I'm sure they're testing stuff. And then also, we need to be able to switch the. Uh. Uh. What's it called? I'm thinking of the the perspective of our opponent's field. Oh, like yeah. we need to be able to flip it around. It looks we like if they're trying to at all capture like uh you know the transition from IRL to this and back and forth. Like just give it as an option. Let us like go to settings and click uh flip opponent's perspective and just like a little uh, setting. 
maybe you can even have this be the default where you just like are looking at the remorade and he's like looking the other way but give us the give us the option to go to the settings and click flip for flip opponent's perspective and then it makes their cards face us so the remorade right all the bench Pokemon would flip around the other way just give it as an option it doesn't need to be they can be both ways you can have the default be the weird way but give us the option to flip around because it's just so uh jarring as someone who has been playing as long as i have but anyone who comes from irl and plays the way you play it's just going to be jarring it's just off off putting like just let us flip the pokemon around yeah, so can't be a hard setting to add for for our audio listeners what Azul's talking about here is like the opponent's active pokemon the card is facing you as opposed to facing your opponent right so uh, it looks like if your opponent was theoretically sitting across from you on the other side of your screen their card would be upside down which is normally how a pokemon is confused that's how you designate that a pokemon is confused in yeah the that as well TCG. makes it weird so it makes it confusing there uh I guess maybe that's what they're going for. Make it, you know, the confusion is confusing, but um, it is definitely something that should, it should be the other way for sure to make it more uh, streamlined between the real game and the digital game. So let's get back into the the letter here. This future layout update will give players a complete view of the cards and options available to help inform and improve strategy in play. This also includes reworked card sizes and better use of the board's empty space, so matches feel more active while making more information available to the player. So, I mean, I think that they... they A section of this statement here says that they rework card sizes to better use the board's empty space. It's like I mean, a little the bit. smallest amount of empty space <laughs> that was present uh, went away. There is still so much empty space in this field. Um, yeah. Now the avatars are gone too. So like, they, I mean, they were, no one wanted them to be taking up space, but they were taking up space. They were. <laughs> exactly. They were doing so it. Now it feels even more empty almost. Yeah. Uh, in addition to layout changes, the development team has significantly emphasized improving the overall visual polish of Pokemon TCG Live while in a match. Our goal is to create an in-match experience that's visually unique and appealing while also including elements of what we and our fans love about the world of Pokemon. Your ongoing feedback on all these significant changes is critical in helping us, and we look forward to sharing how else we'll be rolling out adjustments and improvements in service of that goal. All right, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully that is something they do. That's what they say they're going to do, and I, I guess I do believe them. They want to do it, right? I mean, there's some stuff when I look at this that, like, uh, I mean, like, with the new layout... For those of you that aren't on the YouTube channel, can't really see it, but the the boxes that your like your discard pile, your decks sit in, and your bench sits in, they feel weird with the the new uh, background. So I, I assume that's a change they're going to make. Is they're going to make it everything kind of come together a little bit more because it feels like it's floating above the play mat, like the play area, which is is weird. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I just rewatched the video here. One thing they need to like do. I don't know why this is a thing. Once again, talking about like gameplay being slow. Why do you draw your cards? not at the same time as your opponent on PTCGO or PTCG Live. That makes no sense. I just like rewatched like the the, the <laughs> video of the new point. layout. And you draw your cards first and your opponent draws them second. Just have your opponent draw their cards. Why is that a delay in getting into the game? Is your opponent drawing their cards not at the same time as you? That's ridiculous. I mean, all these little things, like it all builds up. Like this is not that big of a deal if that was the only thing wrong with PTCG Live. But um, 
especially when it's been such a, a weird thing on PDCGO for so long. Like, it's no reason for it to be on PDCGO either. Like, why are we drawing our cards separately? Let's just draw them both at the same time. Let's cut that half a second out, you know? Um, but I, we'll see. We'll see. I don't, like I said, I don't want to give them too much, uh, too much benefit here. Too and much, uh, I, too much. Uh, yeah. Back to the letter Go again. Ahead. We've got while. While we've been making progress on visual and practical improvements to the game board, we've also been focusing on the responsiveness of the game overall, which is something you and I both think is an issue right now. In a yeah. recent update, we rolled out some changes to the in-game store to significantly prove that, improve the time it takes for actions like redeeming booster packs or making purchases. This work will extend to other functions of Pokemon TCG Live to ensure that the game feels quick and seamless both in and out of matches. So the changes that they're talking about specifically to the store right now, like it was still a little clunky, like navigating all those menus and then also like redeeming code cards did take a while. I could actually never get redeeming code cards to work with my webcam. I always had to enter them manually. That just might be a me problem. It also doesn't work <laughs> with PTCGO. So I don't, I've troubleshooted everything I can. Just a regular old webcam doesn't work. Who knows why? <laughs> um, but um but yeah, I mean, it's like one of the biggest issues that you and I both mentioned was just the overall snappiness and uh, yeah. how the game feels. And it feels like that's something they're aware of and they're addressing. And then uh, yeah. to help us in collecting your feedback, we ask that you please consider taking time to fill out our survey. And they leave a link to a survey about the Pokemon TCG Live, which I filled out, Azul filled out, and I'll also leave it in the, I'll leave like a comment down below here on the YouTube channel uh, for those of you who want to fill it out. And I really would encourage people to to fill out this survey. Take your time. It does take a little while. It's about a 15-ish minute survey, um, but there's plenty of space to leave your feedback. And I would just really encourage people to give their honest and thoughtful feedback about what their experiences have been like with PTCG Live, the good ones, the bad ones, whatever it may be. But hopefully, I mean, the fact that they're like gathering this information shows that they want to listen and they want to address the the issues that most commonly come up. So please be sure to give your full and in-depth thoughts and, and, and definitely do the survey. The more people who do it, the better. Yeah, I was pretty brutal. So there's no way you could be like, if you're afraid about being mean, <laughs> like you probably you won't be as me. mean as Azul was. Yeah, so don't worry. They won't they won't think of yours as being the mean survey that they read over or whatever. So you'll be good on that. As far as surveys go as well, it was a little bit confusing taking it because some of the questions ask about ptcg live specifically or like your opinions on how things worked and some of your questions the questions just talk about the pokemon tcg like do you enjoy playing the pokemon trading card game well i mean yes do i enjoy playing tcg <laughs> live no but that's not what you're asking me you know it was a little confusing there that some of the questions were not about tcg live specifically but more just about the actual pokemon card game yeah those questions there's a couple other ones that felt a little almost like leading like it was like well i can't not put that this was positive or un like you know what i'm saying but i think the reason that had to be is that they would they wanted to get the opinion of people who who this was their first time playing pokemon was playing in the beta the pdcg live beta i'm sure was like they wanted that but i feel like that's so irrelevant to ptcg live um some of the stuff with like progression through you know getting cards to be able to play real decks and so on like real competitive decks is like reasonable questions but asking if they enjoy pokemon like tpc we all know tpc has nothing to do with making the game and like uh constructing the formats and all that stuff right like that's nothing to do with 
uh like they're like these survey answers aren't going to affect what uh, what japan decides to put out for cards right so like who cares <laughs> like right. i guess like asking um yeah asking some of the questions some of the questions were like how do you feel about you know the battle the battle pass um or what are they, is that what they call it do they call it a battle mm-hmm. pass yeah. yeah the battle pass like general progression of like getting cards the starter decks like all that makes sense right because you want people to be enjoying the game without having to work hard for their cards or work too hard or have it be an unenjoyable experience so those made sense but yeah, there were some general questions that kind of felt like they like i said they felt kind of leading like they wanted some positive answers out of the survey but i was actually surprised when I got that first question, I think of them comparing it to PTCGO, they were like, all right, have you played PTCGO? And if your answer was yes, and they were, I think that they were like, what did you like more? And they were like, they gave you some pretty decent options to be pretty honest about it. And like I said, mine was pretty brutal. Um, but I hope that uh, quite a few more people do go out of their way to take the survey. I'm sure there's quite a few more people out there. I saw a reply to their initial tweet. One of one of the tweets that someone replied to their tweet when they kind of put out the survey on the po- the play Pokemon TCG Twitter or whatever was I felt mean. <laughs> they were like <laughs> I felt mean with my survey response. I was yeah. like I felt kind of mean. Um, but yeah, don't be afraid to be honest for sure because we want them. We want change. We got to make sure that they know we want change for sure and ideally as unanimously unanimously as possible. Right? We got to be in this yeah. together as much as we can. If you do truly feel that way, so make sure um, no matter how you feel, to go ahead and. Uh, Take the uh, take the survey for sure. And the final line here is your perspectives, thoughts, and considerations about the game have all been invaluable to us in guiding what will come next to Pokemon TCG Live. We encourage you to continue sharing that sentiment and help us reach our goal of creating the best digital Pokemon TCG experience possible from the Pokemon Trading Card Game Live Development Team. And that is what our hope is as well, that PTCG Live can be the best digital TCG, Pokemon TCG experience. There's a long way to go for it to get there, but there is so much potential for this game uh, because the game of Pokemon, like this digital card game is based off the real card game. And the real card game, like the mechanics, the rules, the interactions, it's a good game. It really is. And so when you have like such a strong base of a foundation of a game that's been around for over 20 years, um, there's just so much potential there. And it just hasn't lived up to it yet. But it sounds like the team over there is dedicated to trying to make it happen. I hope. I mean, it's tied to, you know, the biggest brand in the world as well, Pokemon, right? So, like, there's, it's got a lot going for it. <laughs> there's got yeah. a lot going for it. Um, and I think, I think it was just like, at the end of it all, where we are now is where we are. But I think it was like the reason there was such a big outrage is just, it was just like a, a culmination of a lot of just, just bad situations altogether, right? The beta was bad. We've been waiting years for a new client. We've been wanting a new client. I think it was coming up, like, leading up to the point where they actually, like, got announced was like, this is the most I'd ever hear everyone talking about, okay, can, are we going to get a new client? Will we ever get a new client? And then it released, the the beta released, and everyone was hyped. It was like, oh my gosh, they got us a new client. And then the beta actually came out, and it was like, this thing is just not, that's just not it, you know? So they're working on it. But yeah, I think it is going to be a while, maybe be in beta for a couple years. Who knows? Hopefully not, of course. But if that's what it takes, to be honest, I'm I'm... I'm fine with that PDCGO. Like after playing PDCG Live and seeing as to that's what they wanted to give us <laughs> as a client replacement for PDCGO, take your time. At least we know something is coming. And with this recent letter to the community, we know they're at least trying, they're at least making an effort. We have to see how much of an effort they're willing to make, though. Definitely. 
Well, we'll move on to the next section of the podcast here. And we're going to be talking about an online tournament that took place a couple weeks ago now. Like I said earlier, we did want to talk about this last week, but last week's episode was just so full of a bunch of different topics, we couldn't quite fit it in. Uh, but there was a tournament that took place a couple of weeks ago, which was called the Tournament of Champions. It was put on by the Shuffle Squad, and the top 128 globally ranked Pokemon TCG Masters were invited to compete in this event, which had a $2,000 prize pool and free entry. So it was free entry for 128 players, a chance to win $1,000 for first place, and then the rest broke down through the top eight. Um, honestly, really cool. Love to see something like this going on. And the idea here, I think, was that it would build up hype and that people would be excited about it. And it gave the top players something to play for, put a little money on the line and uh, get yourself a chance to uh, participate. But there was obviously a lot of people who would have loved to have played an event like this who were not in the top 128. So they held a last chance qualifier the night before this event where uh, I think it was over 100 players played. And yep. then they took the top cut with an asymmetrical cut and gave them invites to the actual tournament. And it ended up being 11 players, and then 10 of those 11 players ended up actually playing in the tournament. So 10 of the people who participated were from the last chance qualifier, and the total number of players whenever the event actually ended up happening was only 37, meaning that 27 of the top 128 ranked players in the globe chose to play in this event, which is really, I guess, a little surprising, or is it surprising? Because with it being close to Worlds, maybe people are trying to keep their Worlds play close to the chest. Obviously, you could just show up and play like a cookie-cutter Palkia or Arceus deck and, you know, have a chance at some cash. But most players chose not to do that. One of those players being yourself, Azul. So maybe you personally, why don't you just give us your um, opinions on how, when, when you saw this tournament get announced, obviously you were one of these players who it was meant to be for. What were kind of your initial thoughts on it? Were you considering playing in it? And why did you end up choosing not to play in the tournament? Yeah, so when I, when I saw it, I saw it and I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. Like, People like obviously shout out to Shuffle Squad for for hosting the tournament, right? Two thousand dollar prize pool is huge for online tournaments. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna be honest. Like my, when I initially saw it, I was just like, okay, it's kind of cool. But I guess I did kind of think, but why? Like I didn't get why. Like what is, we have worlds coming up, isn't that? We literally have worlds. Uh, was it three weeks after that now, or maybe four? It, it just it didn't took feel place like, like a, yeah, about four weeks before worlds. Yeah, I don't know. It just kind of felt... It, I mean, I guess there was a little bit of dead time between NAIC and Worlds, but I feel like it wasn't... We weren't starving for tournaments either, right? No one was like... Uh, it wasn't like the COVID, you know, times where, like, um, when the online scene initially kicked off, we were super hyped for it. The first Limitless tournaments happened, and then the Players' Cup happened, um, and we weren't, like, starving for tournaments, you know, since Robin has put together, like, the the online tournament site. And then, we, then the season started back up, and obviously we weren't starving for tournaments then. Um, so it, it just kind of felt like why... Um, and of course, like I'm saying, shout out to Shuffle Squad. Them doing anything is better than nothing, of course. Um, I think they could have uh, done it a little bit differently. Oh, I guess I'll mention like, I, so I didn't play and it. Just, I was just up late Friday night. And I was just like, I was like, I'm not going to wake up at 9 a.m. Like, this is too early for me to wake up. I don't want to wake up at 9 a.m. Even though there's a thousand dollars online for first. I was like, there's going to be a lot more players putting a lot more time and trying that much harder than me going into this. 
Uh, and like Chip said, I'm not going to play any of the decks that I'm going to consider to play for Worlds at this tournament either. I could have showed up with a Palkia or just played Arcus B Barrel again, but just to wake up at, you know, I guess I would have had to wake up at like 8 a.m. or 8.30 to, you know, start up the stream and play in this tournament. I just wasn't feeling it, so I didn't play in it. Um, I will say, like I said, I think there's different ways, and they can do whatever they want as far as tournaments go, but there's different ways. There's a couple of better ways I think they could have done a tournament as far as like an invitational, I think would have been uh, better, like a 16-person invitational. Maybe you invite two people through an LCQ. Um, you know, find players who would want to participate, like, you know, high-level players from around the globe. I'm sure time zone was a big reason we didn't see, you know, like time zone wasn't really an issue for me. I just didn't want to wake up at 9 a.m. But I'm sure that's a reason for like the Australians and stuff why they didn't show up, right? Yeah. Um, or just, you know what, like a lot of the top players, they're not online tournament grinders. Um, and that's something we talked about a little bit, like put throw together a 2K event um maybe you do like a little bit of an invite but then make it majority for the people who grind these online events i think you know make hold hold like a 2k event an open 2k event i don't know yeah so i mean for all intents and purposes honestly this tournament ends up i mean i think when you consider the the scale of what they were hoping for and what ended up happening i mean i think you just have to consider it a failure and it's by no means uh, a, me saying that is not a slight at the Shuffle Squad. I'm also just like Azul, very appreciative of the fact that anyone wanted to put this on. But the fact that so few of the invited players showed up to the event, um, it has to just be considered like you know a failure. It did not go as good as it could have or as good as it should have. I actually ended up putting out a tweet about this. I said it's wild that there was an online tournament today with 2K imprising for the top 128 players in the world that had a free invite to, and only 37 people chose to play in it. Why did so many of the qualified players choose not to play in a free tournament where first place won $1,000? And I posted this just because I wanted to kind of spark a little bit of a discussion, wanted to hear what people's thoughts were on it, because, I mean, if the money doesn't motivate people to play the game, um, you know, what, like, is, is it the fact that it wasn't enough? Or, you know, what what really, at the core of it, would have motivated more players to, to participate in this event? And there was a lot of great responses from some of the best players in the world, which is kind of what I was hoping to see. Like, we've got uh, I Caterpie, Alessandro here, one of regionals this season. He said, I had no idea there was a tournament, but I probably would not play anyway because of the reasons explained by Sander Wojcik, which I'll read next. Right now, Worlds is the most important thing we are all focused about. So that, I think, was a partial issue is that some of the top 128 didn't even know that this was a thing. And yeah. I think it's because the shuffle squad just kind of relied on their tweets, their posts in the Facebook groups being enough to get like word of mouth being enough to get to these players. And when you're dealing with a worldwide player base, word of mouth just isn't quite going to cut it. I don't think. Yeah, no, it definitely doesn't seem like it. Like, I mean, it's different for me and you we're on Twitter all the time following people. We're very much about that kind of, uh, of social social media connection as far as we go so we're gonna know about it right um but yeah like a lot of people a lot of people even in the top 128 their life's not that much about pokemon it looked like a couple of people like you know safan was on vacation uh yeah. rahul was out uh i don't know where we're, he sent a picture he put a picture of one of the replies he's by some uh some uh some river or something so touching some, yeah i got tricked into touching grass um 
so yeah, like a lot of people, I think didn't know about it. I think Henry's probably had the funniest response. Uh, classic time zone scam to avoid stimulating the Australian economy. <laughs> yeah, all the, the Australians Australian were all replies sleeping. were were funny. Maddie B replied as well as Natalie Miller, <laughs> all just being like, uh, Maddie B said, "I probably would have if it didn't start at three a.m." Uh, I can't find Natalie's tweet, but she just, oh yeah, here it is. She just <laughs> sent a screenshot of the tournament start time being two a.m. Australian. <laughs> uh, so i mean that, that that part of the world obviously i think makes sense that the timing just didn't work out um but uh and then also frank Persick replied and said to be fair i was very interested in playing but forgot to check yeah. in which i think is the, the most frank response uh oh dude, but then like there's several with... other people here in the replies that are like i had no idea this was even happening yeah yeah, and I think that's maybe I think that's probably the main one to be honest. And then the other ones were just like uh, the other people who knew about it just had a lot of them seem to have other things uh, going on. A lot of people just seem to have other things going on. Like I said, I just didn't want to wake up at nine a.m. to play in the play in the tournament. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, I think they could have done it, but it was it, it was like it was kind of like it seemed like it was an invitational, but then they never actually invited the invitees. And to right? their uh, credit, it isn't like easy to just go to the global leaderboard like you see the list of players but some of the names on there are not people's course, names yeah. it's like screen names and uh it's like you know who is this like like me myself i'm not gonna know a lot of the top 128 players that are not from north america you know i know most of the north american players i would say i probably know most of the names of the european players um probably could know more of the latin american players names for sure and it's like how do i reach out to these people who i don't see their names on twitter i don't interact with them at all uh how would you go about you know even reaching out to some of these people to to that yeah. point i guess no, and I agree too. And that's what I was saying. I think it would have been better if it was like a smaller invitational, like yeah. a 16 person invitational. Maybe do still do an LCQ for a couple spots. 32 man even invitational, right? And you invite some of the best players in the world and you at least you you confirm players you can bring. And even then, when it's a smaller tournament, you can make it a little bit more time zone friendly for maybe like um some of the some of the Australians or or Europeans or whatever as well, right? So um yeah, I don't think it like like I said, like uh like I said it does kind of feel like it was a failure overall. Um, I'm sure they wanted more out of it and it would have been cool. Like if, if, if a hundred of the top 128 showed up, you got some of the best names in the game, some of them streaming. Um, but, and then they had their own stream as well, but being able to showcase those players as well would have been cool. Um, but yeah, not very many showed up a third over a third of the tournament was the LCQ players. Um, and uh, they wanted more out of it. I think it just could have been done. I think it just could have been done, uh, done differently um everything can always be done better it's impossible for something to not be done better so of course everything can be done better but i think differently is probably the better way to look at it because like i said when i looked at it, i was like i i i see the tournament maybe i'll play in it but i was just i, I was really just like why i like i didn't understand the point of the tournament i guess um like i said we're not trying to rag on them but yeah it just felt uh off a little bit and like i said there, i think there's a couple different ways so they could have done differently and i hope i do hope that that if they if they have the the resources and the time and whatever they do kind of uh do another tournament and and hopefully learn from you know this one and hopefully it ends up bigger and better for for them and for the pokemon community in general and hopefully they do run some some more tournaments in the future and the last reply i want to read from my tweet here is from sander wajik who said revealing you and your group's prep for a shot at 1K isn't worth the stakes at worlds are simply way way higher in fact exactly 
these top 128 have the best shot at the successful worlds and thus the biggest incentive to not play in a public event with lots of eyes on it. And he also replied here and said, sure, you could play a cookie cutter list and try to win some money. Nothing wrong with that. Then again, you could also allocate those six hours to IRL slash in-group testing with the decks. You are actually preparing for the most prestigious tournament of the season that is in a couple of weeks. And I definitely agree with those points. And I think that is uh, certainly a factor for some players. And Benji Fam also replied to this tweet and said, I told some, uh, replied to Sanders' initial tweet and said, I told some Europeans about it. Most common reasons not to play were one, they didn't know about it or thought it was later. Two, they do not want to show their world's deck in this event. And three, they did not want to use their free time for this event slash they had other things to do. Yeah. Yeah. I that sums it up pretty well for sure. Definitely. Well, and we'll move on from there to everyone's favorite segment. It is time, as always, for Guess That Flavor Text, the section of the podcast where one of us picks a card from the history of the Pokemon TCG, reads the little bit of text in the bottom right corner, that flavor text, and the other host has to guess what card the other person is reading. You get three lifelines. If you guess the card correctly without any lifelines, you get four points. And for each lifeline you use, you lose a point. And the lifelines this week, as always, are one, what set the card is from, Two, what stage the card is. And then three, read an attack name. This week, it is Azul's turn to pick a card, read the flavor text for me to guess, and of course, for you to play along at home. Uh, Azul, yeah, I thought I gave you one you would be able to get last week and didn't <laughs> quite work out for you. But uh, what have you got for me this week, bud? Yeah, I got one. I I think there's a shot you could you could get this one for sure, but we'll, uh, we'll see. Are you ready? I am ready. A constant collector of information. This Pokemon is very smart. Very strong is what it isn't. Uh, Azul Gigi. No. <laughs> Weakling. No. <laughs> I mean, I think that my first thoughts are definitely going to um, psychic type Pokemon. So um, my first thought would be like the Reuniclus line. Solosis or Duosion, very, you know, psychic, smart Pokemon. But, I mean, it's just a floating blob of cells. Definitely can't be very strong. Uh, will you read the flavor text for me one more time? <clears throat> a constant collector of information. This Pokemon is very smart. Very strong is what it isn't. Okay, I'll ask what set the card is from. Sword and Shield. All right, there is no Reuniclus in Sword and Shield. Another Pokemon I was thinking of was Behem. Um, and it is not Behem because there's also not a Behem in Sword and Shield. Um, but there is in Sword and Shield an Orbeetle. And Orbeetle is a Pokemon that I've read some of its flavor texts before, actually. And it, I mean, or like its Pokedex entries, maybe, which usually flavor texts are. Um, and I, it definitely talks about how it's in, insanely smart, especially the Gigantamax one, I think, is like the smartest Pokemon or like has the biggest brain. Um, and it definitely has a tiny little body. So I could just snag three points here if I guessed that and it was correct. And I honestly don't know if guessing, I mean, I guess, 
I don't know what else I would guess, even if I whittled down the stage. It's a chance to get three points. I'll, I'll ask what stage the card is. I'll use one more lifeline. What stage is the card? It is a basic. Okay, it's not Ore Beetle. All right, well, I'm glad I asked that. Um. Okay, well, now I am definitely clueless, so I'm going to need that last lifeline, I think. I'm going to have you read an attack name. It has Call for Family. Oh, man. <laughs> Not very helpful. <laughs> Could be so many Pokemon. Basic Pokemon, smart. What is the basic of Orbeetle? It's uh not Dotler. Is it Dotler? Oh my gosh. I think Dotler's the stage one. No, Dotler's like Vivalon's stage one. Dude, I'm getting my generations bugs confused here. <laughs> oh no. Um it's not Blipbug, that's is it Blipbug? I'm going to go with Blipbug. I think Blipbug is Vivalon's basic, though. I, I think I'm getting them confused. Is it Blipbug? <laughs> you locking it in? I'm locking it in. It is Blipbug! <laughs> I couldn't remember. What is... Vi All right, so that is Orbeetle's basic, right? Yeah, Blipbug, Dotler, Orbeetle. Who reads Orbeetle's flavor text? I thought you had me when you said... I was just hoping you'd guess Orbeetle, and then you asked for the stage. I was like, oh, no, and now I'm done. He gets two points. Um, who just reads Orbeetle flavor text? That's such a weird thing to do. Listen, let man. him all the way from Orbeetle, let him all the way to the blip bug. It got me there eventually. Eventually, is Dotler the stage? Uh, it Anyone, is yeah. Dotler, blip bug to Dotler to Orbeetle. Dang it, now I'm yeah. Uh, what is Vivalon's basic? Spoopa, I was getting that whole line, confused. <laughs> and then Scatterbug is the basic. I was getting them all confused, but thankfully. I got the one <laughs> correct that needed. Let us know in the comments of the YouTube video. Did you get Blipbug as well? Were you able to get on the board here? I do get on the board, and I think I actually now am leading maybe for the first time, I think. That's it. It Was might I, be. Uh, I, I, I should be up three to two here. So let's go Team Chip. I, I thought we both had. Yeah, yeah, we both have two. That's true. We both have two. Not anymore, though. <laughs> Okay, and we'll move on to the final segment of the cast this week where we are going to be talking about worlds. We did tweet out over on the Uncommon Energy podcast Twitter asking for some questions. Uh, we we're going to be talking about worlds this week. We just tweeted out and asked um, what questions were people had? What are the things you want to hear, whether it's about the meta, the format, or just worlds in general? So this week what we're going to do is we'll talk about some of these questions and also talk about our world's meta thoughts, the top decks, what we think each of them could do at the event, or if there's any sleepers that we think could maybe show up and make a deep run of like tier two, tier three decks, and then weave the questions into those as well. And then next week we'll be uh, kind of giving our last second meta thoughts since it'll be just a few days before Worlds. And we'll also answer some more of these questions. So if you asked a question and it didn't get answered this week, don't worry, it may get answered in next week's episode. And also, if you are listening along at home and you hear us talk about something and you want to know our thoughts a little bit more in depth, or if you come up with a question you'd like to ask, feel free to do it over there on the Twitter 
the podcast Twitter is at uncommon underscore energy, or you can leave it in the YouTube comments as well. And we'll try to pull some more questions from YouTube next week. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so let's get right into it, I guess, with the, uh, the first question that is probably going to be most relevant before the tournament even starts. Um, I guess we'll just both give like kind of our experiences. Um, it comes from uh, at Maddie Ice Bucket. Is travel lag a thing? How early should you arrive days before an event um, that is drastically different than your own time zone? So most people probably have their flights booked, so they won't be able to adjust their flights based on our, you know, experiences. But Chip, uh, does is travel lag a thing for you? Uh, it has been. So I've only traveled. Um super far for a tournament two times like outside of my own time zone i think i've always played in either east coast or central time zone for tournaments uh, outside of when i went to worlds in 2017 for anaheim which that was going backwards and that wasn't too bad going backwards uh because you know i usually kind of just stay up late anyway and so it kind of worked out to where like i was getting tired normally i like if if uh, I go to bed normally at like 1 or 2 a.m. Now I'm getting tired around, you know, 10, 11, which is like a much more normal time. Um, so that wasn't really too bad for me. But this year when I went to EUIC for casting, it was, I believe, five hours ahead, maybe six hours ahead. Yeah. And that was actually pretty tough. And I really wished I had gotten there a day earlier to just give myself w another chance to get caught up. Um, I think another issue was that just the regionals or sorry, the uh, internationals streams are much more work than the regional streams. It feels like um, the events like we're, we're just, we stream much more rounds. Um, there's so much more going on. We have the hosting stuff going on as well that we're doing. So there's just more aspects to it. It's a much more tiring and uh, we have, we have more rehearsals and stuff like that. So um Pretty much, I mean, it was like an overnight flight. I landed at 8 a.m. and then that afternoon had rehearsal. Um, so that was kind of tough. So I think like the, for especially a tournament like this, if you're traveling more than a few hours outside of your usual time zone, I think getting in at least one full day before the tournament so that you have like a day to sleep or like a night to sleep and then a day to not worry about the tournament before the tournament uh, would be ideal. That would be my opinion. Yeah, I would generally say sometimes it affects me and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like not not everyone's going to have that much time uh, to take off, right? But if like a lot of people time up their, their IC travels and their world trips with vacations, right? Because it kind of is a vacation in itself. So you kind of – a lot of people take those extra – uh, you know, extra week or actually a couple of days uh, before the tournament to, you know, just get there early, get to do some other stuff in Sight somewhere you've never been before. Yeah, some sightseeing. Um, and then also it'll help with the, the jet lag thing. So I would like to get, I, I, I would recommend trying to get, you know, as early as you can. But of course, you know, the limit, it depends on your limitations, right? Like if you could just like, you know, get there a week ahead of time and work remotely that week. I mean, that sounds like the the move to me. So if that's like an available option for you, then I would definitely recommend trying to get there, you know, reasonably early, get those extra days in. I always feel like I reg I wish I had been like there, like, like you said, like a day earlier would have been nice um, for jet lag reasons. So I'm getting in Tuesday for worlds and then I don't play till Friday. So I'll have, you know, I get Tuesday morning. So I'll have Wednesday, Thursday 
would have liked to have maybe gotten in, you know, Saturday or Sunday. I think like next time, especially for like Worlds, maybe some of the ICs, I'll try and get there a little bit earlier next season. Um, uh, do a little bit more of like a vacation slash, you know, get ahead on the on the because it's definitely hit me a, a, a couple ICs. It's hit me pretty hard to be honest, and I've been like kind of miserable during the, the like the two tur- the two days of tournament play. It's just been rough. So it definitely is a thing. Some people it doesn't affect at all though. So it definitely is a person thing. Uh, person to person thing but i think it for the most people it does seem to be a thing so i would say if you have the flexibility to get there early you should always try and get there early for sure yeah and you can also try to like adjust your schedule uh at home by a few hours to try to ease yourself into it if you know you're going to be traveling so that's something else you could probably try to do uh if you're trying to fight jet lag specifically all right next question comes up from den of thievals when attempting to make meta driven predictions about the meta for worlds this year what sources of information take priority over others? And I think the big thing here is kind of just how much do the results of online tournaments, because on Limitless, you can literally pull up the decks and see the matchups for each of the decks played on the website through the Play Limitless platform. Uh, You can see those win percentages and see matchup spreads, which is a pretty useful tool But you also have to consider that, like we talked about earlier with the Shuffle Squad tournament, many of the top players who are going to be the majority of players playing in Day 2 of Worlds um, don't play in these online events. So how much does that really affect the the, the skew? Or how much does it actually skew the results, I guess, would be the question. Um, I mean, I definitely think like you... Like, that's kind of general... I feel like general meta at Worlds is less relevant um and especially when you don't have like tournaments back when you have like tournaments back to back happening really fast there's less time for the meta to evolve or for someone to come up with something new or broken so generally it's an adjustment of you know pick a different top deck or adjust your top deck to you know be teched out for the now expected meta but at worlds there's so many people and there's such a big break between like the last tournament and we got a new set to work with, with Pokemon, the Pokemon Go set. Not as big as a full set release like we've had in the past, but it's big enough to have a big enough impact where I, there's just going to be so much to not have any idea of what's going on that um, I wouldn't read too much into it being like, you're just not going to probably play against. Maybe in day one you will, but you're not going to play. Like at NAIC, I think I played against like, like day one i played against like three Mews and four palkias or something like i don't think that's gonna happen that's not gonna happen at worlds though day one or day a two much you're more gonna diverse be- meta you would expect uh, yeah much more diverse and i think you'll see higher counts of decks that people think are like people think are good um but just have never been really popular stuff like dialga like dialga is a deck that i think is really really good um and i could definitely see that being just fairly popular um overall ice rider I could see that as well, although I don't think I find it's very good. It's had some hype recently, but like that's a deck that I could also see just being that one less reasonably popular. I don't know why it shouldn't be popular, but like I could see that being more popular for like the same reason, right? Let's just like these decks are uh, more people are going either way to try and play something different and unique because just playing a Palkia Intellion, playing an Arc Intellion, I just don't think is uh, going to give you as good of a shot to to uh, to win the World Championships. Now to make it from day one to day two to maybe get to top 32 they're a little bit more reasonable choices but if your goal is to top eight potentially win the whole thing um you're trying to you know bring something different and new and give yourself that extra edge overall so i would definitely say expect something more diverse so definitely a lot harder to read the meta for sure so, so i think a reason that if we look at naic that the meta was so um 
small like the 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 variety of decks played was so minimal right pretty much i, I think if you look at the top um 100 ranked players in the world or something like that a super high percentage maybe like i would i would have to do the numbers but i would imagine like 70 plus percent of those players played either palkia or arceus intellion um and then even like some of the other really great players who would rank outside of the top 100 who are still like you know top level players played one of those two decks and i think the reason for that is because the meta was still pretty young at that point with astral radiance we had had the melbourne regionals which palkia obviously dominated took eight out of the eight spots the Milwaukee Regional Championships was kind of a mess where we saw Arceus, <laughs> Duraludon, and Blissey show up and do really well. And I think the fact that those kind of like random rogue decks showed up and did really well um, gave led many of the top players to just pick a really consistent list of one of the best decks. And that's yeah. what ended up happening was, you know, it became evident after the event, you won the tournament with Arceus Flying Pikachu, but very few people are talking about Arceus Flying Pikachu as the best deck in the format. The best deck in the format yeah. is without a <laughs> doubt, Palkia Intellion, and right behind it, Arceus Intellion. So we have a very much more formed meta. People are much more sure about, given the card pool, what the top decks are. And I think now moving into Worlds with that information, you'll see the majority of the top players Sure, some of them will still choose to play Palkia. Some of them will still choose to play Arceus Intellion. But you'll see many more players branch out and find things that are really solid against those decks, at least having 50-50s in those matchups, and choose to bring those because they're um, a little bit more unexpected. And that is a huge factor at these tournaments, is having something, like being able to play cards out and your opponent does not know what is coming. Uh, list knowledge yeah. is such a big deal. We've seen that over the past couple of years through online events. Um, and when you're like, I played this past weekend or two weekends ago now in the Carolina state championships. I talked about that, which is obviously just like a small local tournament, not really relevant to worlds at all. But I was playing an off meta deck, my like Arceus fire deck. And I got to surprise people a bunch with the, the different things that I was playing because nobody's expect like they don't know what's coming. And I, that is a if you can find something that is going to leave people guessing what you have in your deck. I think like Frank Persick at EUIC with the Whimsicott or even the Urshifu players with Urshifu because that was kind of the first tournament that it had popped up really big. People didn't know what everyone had in their decks. And when you're leaving people guessing, that's when you get to shine as a player. So I think we'll see the majority of the top players not play those two decks yeah no i agree yeah and then, then that's what i think it's going to be hard to not just win the tournament if you just choose to play one of those two decks um i think it'll be even hard to get like uh like you know push for even like top 32 if you're not trying to bring something different you're just going to be like another palkia player who decided to play palkia and then it's basically going to be the rng of the event will be okay you made top 32 or not but if you go out of your way to test and and come with something different and unique you have such a higher chance of, of making top eight, of winning the tournament, of making even just like a top 32 at Worlds. Um, otherwise, you're just like another of the, you know, 20 Palkia players in day two. And then depending on how the RNG of the rounds go, you might be the Palkia player to to get up to the top. But like, there's so much more than just playing well. To be consistently at the top in the game, It's there's more than just playing well. You know, you have to try and get all those little advantages where you can. And one of them is bringing uh, maybe not always the next best deck, but something just as good as everything else that's just different is 
good enough to give yourself a yes. huge edge. And if you want to be able to consistently take advantage of that, you can't just settle for playing Paul Cantelli and Arceus Centellian all the time if you want to be a consistently great player. Absolutely. So it went a little bit beyond, I think, what the question was asking, but it all kind of stems together. Yeah. So now let's, uh, those are just kind of like the intro questions here. Let's now talk about each of the top archetypes. We'll give our opinions on them. And then we have a few questions uh, weaved in here from Twitter as well that uh, as, as they are relevant to the specific decks that we're going to be talking about. So we'll start it off with Palkia. Of course, the best deck in the format um, had a bunch of top eight spots at uh naic isaiah bradner ended up getting second place with it and i would say that is the list that most people have been focusing on and copying uh, as far as testing I feel, goes i think it's it's pretty 50 50 i feel like recently i've been seeing more battle vip pass lists but i do think actually that especially like after naic there were a lot of people playing uh close to what yoshi was playing with the rare candies uh or the rare candy i should say and stuff like that so i think it's i think it's pretty close i think it's pretty close between the, the quad battle VIP, I guess like the two things that I feel like I separate the list for me is where candy and quad battle VIP pass. Okay. So, uh, but I did just look at like a results from a tournament and one of the lists does have where candy with quad battle VIP pass. So, um, but yeah, like the more teched out build with one battle VIP pass, still playing four Irida. They all play four Irida yeah. uh, versus the four battle VIP pass. Sure. I feel like it's pretty close to 50 50 um, in those two, those two, the two camps of Palkia. So we kind of already gave our thoughts a little bit. Like, it feels like if you're choosing to play Palkia for Worlds, I think you have to either be one of the best players or just kind of, like, be okay rolling the dice to try to get top 32. I don't know that, like... Or, like, like you have to be insanely confident in your play because everyone... Like, this is the deck everyone is going to know what they're going to do against. They are going to have a game plan. You either have to play out of your mind which you know plenty of players can do or you have to have a few tricks and uh different texts and things like that ways to spice up matchups and surprise your opponent yeah i definitely need a little bit i think i mean you could just like take bradner's list maybe change one or two cards and then like rock that and you could you could it's hard to me for me to say that i think i don't think that kind of deck will win the tournament i think palkia is very good it's the best deck for a reason and it doesn't have that big of a target on its back because the deck is like not that overwhelmingly powerful i think everyone respects it as probably being the best deck in the format but it's not overwhelmingly powerful to the point where it's like it doesn't feel like mu v max when mu v max was considered the bdif right like it doesn't feel like overwhelmingly powerful it's impossible to beat with like so many decks like it's very beatable for a lot of decks um and it does have it is but it, you have you have to realize everyone is going to have a plan. Like, no one's going into the tournament not being able to beat Palkia. It doesn't mean they're going to be extremely favored, but everyone's at least trying to be 50-50 to maybe only slightly unfavored, but with if, if their deck is, you know, uh, sneaky enough or has enough, you know, weird stuff in it, in a best two out of three, you're not going to be able to play optimally on the Palkia side of things and, and that your first best two out of three against someone who's playing something cheesy, right? So um, I definitely think uh, it's, it's still a solid play. And it is the I do think it is the best deck overall. But going into as unknown of a meta as this is, um, I definitely don't favor it to be uh, a tournament winner. And we do have a question regarding Palkia from Lider Iverson, who asks, what is the key slash swing points in the Palkia mirror, primarily in play, but also in lists? And for me, one of the biggest uh, swings that you can potentially take uh, is definitely in the list building. And something I think we've seen very little looked at uh, and discussion on um, is the list that Gustavo Wada used to get top eight. Gustavo lost to Bradner 
in top eight of NAIC. Now, if the things go the other way, potentially, you know, maybe it's Gustavo who you're playing in the finals as opposed to Isaiah. Both of them are incredibly competent players, so I don't think it would have been a surprise to see either of them. You know, whoever wins that match could easily have been uh, in the finals, and it's like, you know, playing a mirror match, so it can definitely go either way when you're talking about two players at the top of their game. Uh, obviously, Isaiah did end up coming out on top, but Gustavo had some super, super interesting techs. Uh, the main ones being the quick shooting Intellian, which is something Isaiah did not play, and then also Leon in his deck. And we saw him make crazy plays with it in the stream. I remember at one point watching him uh, leave himself with just like two or three Pokemon in play, so his opponent's not going to be able to respond with a one-hit KO. And in one turn, he goes quick shooting... Um, Scoop up net, quick shooting, choice belt, Leon adds a hundred damage to his attack out of nowhere. Like how, like that is just a, I think creating situations like that where you can just take a big swing and leave your opponent scrambling is what's going to set you apart in the, those type of matchups. Yeah, no, I think like some one of those, at least one of those kind of cards you'll definitely want to play. But we did see when we when you when you match up the tech versus the consistency. Oh, sorry. Um, I just remembered it was not double quick shooting. What he did was he went uh, his opponent had left four Pokemon in play. So he went echoing horn plus choice belt plus quick shooting <laughs> plus Leon. So it's still like a crazy, you know, plus 100 damage turn, but it was pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what we do see is like when we go when you see tech go up against consistency of Gustavo versus Bradner, it's not tech that just always comes out on top right so there is like a there's a fine line between over teching and under teching at the goal at the end of the day is to make the most powerful make your the archetype you're choosing to bring to the tournament as powerful as possible which just means you're just trying to get the highest win percentage possible so if you can do these cute leon plays in the mirror match that's great but how are you how much are you using leon against everything else right that's like going to be the question so um shots flying p it does. <laughs> so those kind of those kind of tech cards are like uh, good and like yeah, I think for as far as swing cards in the mirror match go, uh, Leon's pretty good. Cheryl's pretty good. Um, I think as far as in game plays that happen, uh, the one that I feel like not that many people know about as far as the Palkia mirror goes is just not when when you've drawn your first two prize cards with Palkia, do not draw your next two prize cards until you draw four prize cards in a turn to play around Roxanne. Because if you let them Roxanne, it's really if they if they have Roxanne plus any reasonable control over their board, they're not gonna be able to, they're gonna be able to make it very easy for them to limit your ability to get a one hit KO. So the play you look for is you just hit a Palkia like if you if you KO the first Palkia V to like stay ahead and maintain your lead and not give your opponent a chance to come back with Roxanne, you just hit the next Palkia for 260, 270, and the next turn you go Goonping, Echoing Horn, Boss, KO the Palkia V again, and then you drew, drew four prize cards in a turn, and they never had a chance to Roxanne. So if uh, that's definitely, if you're not doing that in the mirror match when you're ahead, and you can, you definitely need to add that to your, your arsenal of plays, because otherwise you can just get Roxanne on and then, and then lose from there. And they can kind of set up the exact same board state back at you. They can go like Roxanne, and then not KO that Palkia fully, and then draw four prize cards in their own turn. So... Um, definitely need to be trying to take advantage of that when you have the ability to and that's why cheryl is a counter card in the mirror and if they don't if they don't know you play that and they're ahead and they go for that and then you drop the cheryl on them they're in trouble <laughs> so i mean See, i think that's, that's maybe... like almost like a meta within the meta as well <laughs> of like i mean yeah, uh, so... as, as as to choosing cheryl in your deck like it's like do you choose to play cheryl respecting your opponents enough that they are going to make this play <laughs> in the mirror match because i mean it's kind of a sneaky play right not something most yeah. people would recognize and go for 
Yeah, and it's a lot easier with Zigzagoon. The quick shoot, sure. playing quick shooting. I do. I will say, I do think Zigzagoon is just better than quick shooting. I, so, I think yeah. Zigzagoon should come first. If you're not playing Goon, if you're playing quick shooting, you should either cut it for Zigzagoon or include Zigzagoon alongside it. I don't think quick shooting is bad, but I think Goon should come first, um, and it makes that play a lot easier to pull off. Um, and uh, but yeah, if everyone knows about the play, then uh, you know Cheryl's pretty good. And we did see Tord played Cheryl. I wonder if if that was what Tord specifically played the Cheryl for at uh, Milwaukee Regionals. Um, Tord had the Cheryl in there, so Tord was rocking the Cheryl. I think he did um, still play it at NAIC, but he didn't make day two, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm not sure about NAIC, yeah. But um, so that's like a, a card to consider for for mirror match. And it's good again. I mean, Cheryl's good. Healing, to, healing your Pokemon is kind of good, right? As long as you're not getting one hit KO'd, um, it's pretty good to just heal that much damage, right? You probably don't want to do that up against an Arc Intel, though, because they'll they'll be happy to match you heal for heal. They have more. <laughs> so if you're going to Cheryl, they'll Cheryl's care, but... Um, they'll take that trade off for sure, but it's definitely a, a cool card for the mirror for sure. And speaking of Arc Intel, definitely the second most talked about deck, the second most played deck on the Play Limitless platform as well. Uh, kind of, I would say, sitting right up there with Palkia as BDIF contender. Was really popular at NAIC. Um, there's just so many ways to play Arceus and so many ways to play Arceus and Tellian as well. Um, that it kind of all gets lumped together almost. I feel like, you know, like people have been playing Charizard or not playing Charizard, you know, Starmies, really not something we've seen much of since NAIC, but it was in most of those NAIC lists, it feels like. Um, but yeah, Arceus and Tellian. I, th I get th something that's been a huge discussion this past week online in the community is the Arceus and Tellian versus Palkia matchup, where it feels like most of the Arceus and Tellian players are like, yeah, it's 50 50, or it's like close. And then all the Palkia players are like, it's 85 15, or like <laughs> 65 35, something like that. Like everyone, the Palkia players all think it's incredibly favored for them. And from my experience playing it out as well, I would honestly tend to lean palkia's direction what are your thoughts yeah i definitely i don't play either of the decks enough to care too much about it but i do think it's palkia favored when it does come up and i i put in the time in the matchup it definitely feels palkia favored overall a lot of little plays you can do there around your greninja keeping your greninja around as an option is huge they really can't bench manaphy so your greninja is always a play and they don't and really want to boss your manaphy yeah, a lot of people aren't even playing Manaphy because it's not good in the matchup, right? Benching the extra, yeah. if you bench the extra Pokemon, that means your uh, your your uh, Arceus V on the bench that you just Charon's cared, picked up and put back down so you can Charon's care again next turn with the big charm is at risk of just getting KO'd. So you can't really play bench the Manaphy to begin with. There is like a moment in the game where you're far enough ahead where you can kind of like drop multiple Sobbles and the Manaphy in the same turn, uh, but you have to be ahead at that point. And, and to get there, it definitely feels like you don't get there very often, so the Manaphy just doesn't feel very good. But if there's other decks sniping in the format, then it makes Manaphy worth. But I can't think of, a, I guess if you're afraid of like Urshifu, but to be, then you have to play the Dunsparce as well, so you have to play both of them. So you do have to kind of, kind of commit to the double the double package. But I think I think Arcus Italian is okay. I'm not a huge fan of it, just because it's like if you're going to, I just don't want to play a deck that's like even, I just don't want to play a deck that's unfavored against Palky. I don't know, like it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I agree. And a question relating to something you were just talking about from Optilulz over on Twitter asks, what is the best Arceus package for Worlds now that folks seem in agreement that pure Arc Intel isn't good enough? And then our lists without Dunsparce slash Manaphy, just Urshifu propaganda for Worlds. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, if Urshifu showed up and did pretty well. I do think... Urshifu does not do great against Palkia. I think you could maybe build it to do okay against it. I think Cheryl 
um, really strong against Palkia with Urshifu. You have to like limit your bench, but like uh, I don't know, it becomes kind of a weird one. I mean, Urshifu has 330 HP. Like Palkia is not one hit KOing it, um, so you got to make sure it sticks around. Uh, all of the Palkia's playing Manaphy is pretty annoying for Urshifu. Um, I don't know. I think I, I don't know how much I would be worried about playing Dunsparce. In Arceus, um, I would maybe I would lean towards Dunsparce before Manaphy, I think, personally. Um, just because Manaphy, like you mentioned, not great in the pa the Palkia matchup, which is kind of annoying because that's like yeah. where it would be the best against Radiant Greninja. Um, and then as far as what best package uh, that since pure Arc Intel isn't good enough, quote unquote, I think I would definitely be trying to play Radiant Charizard because that card just helps Arceus out so much where it has struggled before um, where, you know, it plays this really good early game. It can be aggressive in the early game. You can do cute little like boss Zigzagoon choice belt plays if you're playing that build or you can uh, just be really tanky and healy in the early game with Sharon's Care and Big Charms. And then in the late game, having a one hit KO option in the Charizard is super strong. Yeah, no, I when, I, when I'm when I'm talking about like Arc Intel in general, I'm definitely talking about the the more staple build that was played at NAIC. You know, two Chance Cares, one right. to two Palpad. I'm not a huge fan of that. I do think the Charizard, although I think people are doing the, the Charizard thing a little bit weird, where they're like, there's like they're just putting the Charizard in, but then still keeping like two Charons Care. Like, I think like you just want to commit. And I I tried out like a Arceus box list the other day, and I kind of liked it. It was just like a, it was kind of idea kind of came from uh you know ian rob's list at one indiana I cut all the dark stuff but like you know i had charizard in there i had zapdos i had raikou and it was basically just like be aggressive with arceus early and then depending on the matchup you have some tech attackers and then uh in the late game charizard's always just good against anything so it was just kind of like an aggressive arceus like prize race list um that was pretty cool so something like that like i like a little bit more the idea of but if like i don't know once you start like adding charizard and stuff like still playing two charons cares just feels just be more aggressive. Do the goon choice belt plays and stuff like that. So um, those kind of lists, I definitely, I definitely like a little bit more. The Palkia matchup still feels pretty, pretty, uh, pretty awkward at times. But if you got like the Raikou in there and stuff, or even like a Zero or some other kind of tech attacker to help you out, it doesn't feel too bad. Yeah, playing the goon choice belt combo in Arceus just feels so strong. Like <laughs> if you ever go first and just attach an energy it's like not super and if you're especially if you're hard. playing a list that has like crobat in it it's really not hard to dig for the boss ko a pokemon v on on turn two and that just puts you so far ahead in almost every single matchup now granted it's a lot weaker whenever you're not going first because you're kind of like playing from behind just right off the bat looking for that turn one trinity charge if you can get it i guess but um yeah i think like zigzagoo i, I think for most Arceus variants, with the exception of like Arceus Duraludon, I'm probably going to try to fit that combo in there personally, just because I think it's so, so good. Um, but we got a couple other Arceus variants we want to talk about. One of them being Arceus Flying P, which of course you won the North American Internationals with. Um, and it's kind of been surprising to me that it's really not been that talked about ever since it won NAIC. Uh, obviously, I think it makes sense that Palkia is still considered BDIF, but if even if we look over at Play Limitless... Arceus Flying Pikachu is the seventh most played deck in the Astro Radiance format, which is kind of surprising for a deck that just won the biggest tournament of the year. I don't know, as the person who won it, what are your kind of thoughts on its position right now in the meta or maybe why it isn't, you know, in the top three decks? Um, I mean, I I think it was good for NAIC because it was a lot more narrow of a meta. Like, I think I only played against, like, trying to think back on it, I think I only played against Arcanteleon, 
uh, Mew and Palkia. Like, I only played against... And Sander, of course. But those are the only decks that I can remember playing against. I don't think I played against anything else. The meta felt, like, a lot more narrow and predictable. Um, but it's not good against a lot of, like, other decks out there, like Dialga. Stuff like that is kind of rough. Um, you can always path Marnium, but you're, like, 100% all in on path Marnie. Um, and then... <clears throat> Stuff like Ice Rider can be pretty tough as well, which has recently made like a resurgence. So like they yeah, the off the off meta decks are just tough for the deck to deal with. Arkantel, of course, is an unfavorable matchup, and that got more popular as well uh, after NAIC. So yeah, just it's, it's just I mean it was good for NAIC, but I don't think the deck like I wouldn't play it at Worlds. Um, some people have asked me that, and I was like, no, I wouldn't play Arc Flying P at Worlds. I don't think the deck's terrible, but I think there's maybe a better. Arnie Path deck out there. Maybe there's a better way to play Arc B Barrel right now. So that would maybe be the, the way to play. And I don't think about really it as Arc Flying P. It's just the best way to play Arceus B Barrel, is the way I think about it. It's just like Arceus B Barrel is the deck and the best uh the best partner for it at NAIC was just Flying Pikachu. It's not really an Arceus Flying Pikachu deck. True. And a couple more Arceus decks here. We've got Arceus Mewtwo V Union which has popped up and been a lot more played. It's not in the most played decks. Uh, it's pretty far down, actually, I think, because it is, like, a little bit newer. But it's done pretty decently. Um, kind of just a different way to play the, the Mewtwo V Union. It does seem like it has a pretty solid Palkia matchup, which is a big selling point for it. Um, I know you played in a tournament with this deck. What are your kind of thoughts on it? Uh, it's better than I thought I would, but I think there's a lot of... Uh, and the 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 amount I played it, like the from what I played of it, it just there's so many games I should have just lost if my opponent like knew what I could do. Um, the deck's kind of out there a little bit more, but yeah, the deck just doesn't feel that powerful. Mewtwo Union very powerful, but what you have to do to kind of get it in play and get it going, the situation you kind of put it in when you put it into play, it doesn't feel like it actually does enough to make it better than just playing like a pocket and telling on deck to be. Like it doesn't feel as good as as uh, as the top decks in the format overall it's 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 good um and it's been consistently more successful in like online tournaments than i thought it would be i thought it'd fall off really hard and have its like moment for a little bit but it's 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 not quite there it's like too clunky it's like too you can't really pick what you're doing pretty much ever uh you're pretty much locked in on trying to rush out the mewtwo and if you whiff that you sometimes just lose so it's all right it's cool deck but i don't think it's quite good enough and then the last Arceus variant, I mean, there's obviously plenty of other ways to play Arceus, and I wouldn't be surprised if someone came up with some unique way to add Arceus in um, for the World Championships. But Arceus Duraludon, I think I've just never been that big of a fan of this deck. Like, I understand that it's pretty strong, but it's so basic in its game plan. <laughs> like, you're doing the same thing every game, regardless of what you're playing against. And you're just pretty much accepting like if you're gonna play this deck like you're just hoping that your matchups are good are gonna be good enough to carry you through to to top eight yeah i'm not a big fan of arcus around i've actually even said like if you ran milwaukee back and just the tournament replayed i'd be surprised if a duraludon made top eight like that's how like unconfident i am in the deck like i just don't think the deck's very good overall i think it's a it's like a, an okay way to play arceus and every but every time i go back to it it has the same issues and same problems and nothing's really evolved as far as it being that much better in the meta or as a deck. So yeah, not quite, uh, not quite there. Um, Nobody's <clears> on the secret tech though for, for the deck is the, uh, What's the secret tech, the, the scroll, the, the single oh, the strike damage. scroll <laughs> of the fanged dragon, bro. Super strong slash 300 damage. All you got to do is slap a DTE on your 
Duraludon, all of a sudden you're doing 280. KO and a Palkia out of nowhere. An Arceus that like, didn't have a big charm on it. You have to discard all your energy, though, right? Yeah, but it's like your last KO, so it's like fine. Okay. <laughs> well, no, actually, it could be. It could be okay. It could be okay. I could see it. Maybe. Um, I mean, one day, let's. So the next deck we should talk about is when we talked about what we think are like the top two decks that used to be top deck. Mu V Max. Um, it's been getting more popular recently in online tournaments. How it kind of fell off have really, fallen though. <laughs> yeah, it fell off really hard after NAIC. It's been making a kind of a little bit of a resurgence, and you know, I mean, like. With people talking about bringing like Urshifu decks, like not Urshifu decks with like no dark stuff in it and like stuff like that. Maybe it's just maybe this is Muse time. Maybe Muse time <laughs> is the world. No, Azul, stop. <laughs> You're supposed I to be done. <laughs> I won't be playing Muse, okay. but you know, if someone came through and just like took down the whole thing, it'd be it'd be uh, uh kind of poetic, I guess. <laughs> All right, thoughts on which would you be more surprised to see win worlds? Mew Genesect or Palkia Intellion? Which would be more surprising to see? Like, which one of those two decks do you ex think has a better chance to win? What was that? Which one? The Do you think Palkia has a better chance to win or Mew Genesect has a better chance to win? Uh, Palkia. Palkia for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, well, if I had to pick between one of the two to win, I would rather that, that have... That is the question I was asking, yes. <laughs> if... Okay. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, I think, no, I think it's more likely Palkia wins. Okay. But if I had to pick one to to win, I would want Mew to win. Oh, okay. Like, if I, I had understand. to, like, yeah. yeah, I think it's way more likely Palkia wins. But if I had to pick one to win, then, yeah. Like, you, I'm, you want, you would rather Mew win than Palkia win is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. But okay. I think, I think it's more likely Palkia wins. If I was betting, I'd bet on Palkia. But if I had to pick one be like i want this to win then Got i would it. pick the i pick me i feel like that little 60 second segment was way more <laughs> complicated than <laughs> it needed to be i think we were both confused okay <laughs> moving on uh yeah <laughs> mu, mu genesect i i also would not be surprised to see mu do pretty decently i i don't think that the top 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 players like the top one percent of the room like i don't expect Tord to play it i wouldn't expect robin or stefan or any of the top european players i wouldn't expect isaiah um and that crew to play it i wouldn't expect you to play it i wouldn't be surprised if you rolled up with it i hope you don't Azul. No, i won't blame you i'm not gonna be playing you <laughs> um so i don't expect like the top tier like I, I also wouldn't expect like gustavo or even i i could maybe see the australians rolling up with it honestly uh because they played it to that first regionals and like you know obviously we're pretty dedicated and kaiwin played it uh as well at euic and did pretty well yeah. with it so I, that, that's probably of the top tier groups. I think the Australian group is the one I would most reasonably see bringing Mugenesect. Um, but I, I think that um, I, I also don't think most of those groups will choose to bring Palkia. I think maybe the top American group will play Palkia. I don't think the Euros will play Palkia personally, but we'll see. Um, okay, moving yeah, on. Next one, a little bit more of a sleeper deck. Uh, being the Dialga V-Star, so kind of the antithesis to Origin Form Palkia, the other side, the other booster pack art, the Origin Form <laughs> Dialga V-Star. Um, Dialga is a really cool deck, and it it cannot be overstated how strong of an effect it is to take an additional turn from your opponent. 
Yeah, no, Diablo, I actually, I've been playing quite a bit of it. I uh, played in a tournament the other day. My only losses were because I misplayed. Um, it's, it's fairly difficult deck to play, the sequencing. Uh, it is definitely more of a solitary type deck. You don't have a ton of options every turn. Um, but the deck is very strong. Um, I think it's super good. And we haven't seen it have a ton of success uh, in general that, that I can think of. Um, so I could definitely see quite a few players rolling up with the Dialga and doing well with it. Like, I, I don't know, the deck just seems really, really good. Um, it's definitely a deck that people will be underprepared against. And um, there's not a whole ton of room to kind of tech it out and stuff. There's some things, like pe some people play Avery. I like the Bird Keepers. I don't even play the Rowlet, but the Bird Keepers are just really good to move stuff around and get, like, extra Muse off and stuff. So um, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan, for sure. You got to play the bird, the the Rowlet, though, bro. That's how you, uh, yeah. to, you get through the just two V-Stars in play, right? I mean, you can. You don't. You don't need to do that to get through two V stars. The rally, I mean, the rally can be nice. Yeah, you can set up a V, uh, V or V star K or KO Asable and just like make your prize trade different. Um, but you don't need. You don't need to get the the KO, especially with Zation in the deck as like a third attacker. Sure. Like you have enough options. I feel like most games. I will say, looking at Dialga's win percentages on Limitless. Now, take this obviously with a bit of a grain of salt, but it's usually a pretty good indicator on just how general matchups go. Uh, Dialga versus Palkia Intellian, win percentage, 37%. Arceus Intellian, 44%. <laughs> Mew Genesect, 39%. Those ma that matchup spread is pretty pretty bad. Um, I think, like, if that was a true matchup spread, there's no shot I'm playing this deck to Worlds, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would either. I don't think that's quite uh, Palkia or Dialga's matchup. I think the deck is, is, is fairly hard to play, to, like, get up to to speed with like you know playing it consistently it's definitely pretty tough yeah i don't think that's quite uh dialga's overall uh, matchup percentages for sure it's a little bit better than that another deck that's popped up and gained a lot of popularity recently is the ice rider calyrex we've seen some like ice rider Bieberel decks we've seen ice rider palkia we've seen ice rider intellian <laughs> tons of different ways people are trying out the ice rider so if you found yourself wanting to play the ice rider v max which of kind of those three ways you know like ice rider i feel like it's like are we cramming palkia in there are we focusing mostly on ice rider is it just a thin palkia kind of where do you land on the ice rider uh or is it like just ice rider intellian maybe where, what do you think i mean that's been like the the most staple one right. i like the b barrel build though I, I do like the b barrel build a lot i like the ice rider b barrel a lot so i like if i had to pick one to play i'm not going to be playing ice rider um because i don't think the deck is that good overall uh i'd go with the b barrel um it's just it's, it doesn't feel worse than intellion it's just and it's just way more fun that's how i feel about playing b barrel in general compared to intellion it's like i'm winning the same amount of games but i'm enjoying myself so much more playing b barrel than i am playing intellion so why would i play intellion <laughs> when i literally have like the same win percentages with these different decks so uh yeah i play the b barrel build it's a cool deck it's got some aggressive options especially when you get the 2-2 two -two pocket line in there and you have the greninja and everything um so, but uh, the Italian one has definitely been the most successful overall, I would say for sure. But it doesn't feel like there's that much of a, a difference in, as far as win percentage goes, which at the end of the day is the only thing that matters, right? It doesn't matter if, uh, you know, Italian finds you the exact piece you need on a turn and you whiffed once as B-Barrel. If they both win the same number of games, who cares, right? Yeah, and I think Ice Rider has definitely picked up a lot more play recently. But every single time, like ever since Chilling Rain came out, it's like I play this deck and then it has the same problems it always has. And so then it's like, I forget about it for a while. New set comes out, meta develops. I'm like, okay, I'll try this deck again. 
has the same problems it always had. Okay, we'll put it away. <laughs> and that's kind of where I'm at with it once again. It's just like a little too inconsistent, being forced to play Melanie a little too often. You can mitigate that a little bit if you choose to play Palkia alongside it. And I think that's probably where I would lean the most is including Palkia just to yep. use Star Portal to get those extra energies in place so you can be aggressive with boss's orders. Um, it's funny though that you say paper, that. Yeah, go ahead. It's like, like the 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 most popular build, I guess, with the B bear like B barrel Palkia, uh, the B barrel Palkia build uh, at the very least. It's like the 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 supporter you have the most of in there is Irita, so you're like using Palkia to use Irita for the turn. Right. <laughs> like if you look at Grant's build that he was that I, that's the one that I mess around with the most. Um, that he like was playing in some tournaments uh last week or whatever. It's like you're doing all this stuff, just use Irita for your turn. Or Irita sets up your Palkia play. So you're not using Melanie, you're just using Irita instead. But, <laughs> yeah, it's like um, a different it, it does Irita, feel good. Or a different yeah. Melanie. Um, but it's like in theory, right? You do 280 damage, which KOs all the the V stars, which is pretty good, mm -hmm. but it's just Less like Mew. so it is so clunky to get to that point, right? Yeah, way less Mew in the format, but even right. then um, I mean, yes, Mew's been getting a little bit of hype, a little bit of resurgence heading into to Worlds, I feel like, definitely. Um, and I would not be surprised to to see it, uh, especially be played in day one, you know, make it make its way into day two. And, and definitely, it'll definitely be there. Mew will be there for sure. It's not it's not going to be a completely non-factor. I do think this is the, the best tournament ever to like, choose to be like, all right, I'm going to take the loss to Mew. And if I hit him, I hit him. If I don't, I'm chilling, right? I think that's definitely like... It, it's it, we're definitely in that spot in the 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 meta heading into worlds where you can like make that call and be like i'll take this take this l to mew and hope to hit the hit the other matchups right um yeah. but uh yeah i don't know if i don't know if that makes ice rider good enough to play at worlds i don't think so anyways um but let's move along to to i guess the big ones uh but like one project in general the big ones of course being reggie and uh you put it you write it down here as luna rock is that the is that what i call it yeah uh, luna tone and soul rock i forget what i usually call it soul luna soul i don't even know yeah luna rock no luna rock makes sense now <laughs> um but yeah reggie's and luna rock are like the two the big two big oh i guess you rapid strike malamar um if we just want to talk yeah, one prize or a box as well would be like another one prize or deck yeah in if we want to talk as well and Intellion Box definitely seems like the best of the one prize decks. Because I don't think the Soul Rock Lunatone thing is very good. No. Reggie's has been out of the meta. Like it's not a deck. It's cool. It's fun. It it does shows up in tournaments sometimes with decent placements. But and Pokestop, of course, is the Pokestop build now with it. Um. Uh. But Rapture Malamar, I feel like could. That's what Ross played at NAIC and uh, top thirty two or top sixty four, I think. But I mean, what is where do you stand on on one prize decks right now? Um, I think I would probably rank them similarly to how you just ranked them. Maybe putting a little bit more uh, emphasis on Reggie's. Like, I think that if we've got these Arceus decks that aren't playing Dunsparce, that creates a pretty good matchup for you. Uh, and if there's a lot of Arceus out there not playing Dunsparce, like, that's a good field, ideally. Um, yeah. And then if you can just be consistent enough to just draw into the stones every single turn to one-hit KO Palkias, uh, I think that with Roxanne becoming much more popular, I don't think that Reggie does great against Roxanne, though it does thin pretty well with the Pokestops, like you mentioned. It, you can thin through your deck pretty efficiently, and you, of course, have a couple of extra cards you can draw with the Reggie Drago's ability. Um, the deck is still a little clunky, I think, um, but <laughs> I think uh, I, I would probably go like Intellium Box, then Reggie's, then Malamar, and then down at the bottom, Lunatone Solrock. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I maybe I respect Malamar a little bit more, but it's it does, still doesn't feel like it is a great deck. And then going into more of an unknown meta, you want to be going up against those two prize Pokemon consistently. Um, and if you're not sure if you're going to be able to do that, that definitely hurts Rapidrack Malamar uh, a little bit. But it doesn't have a target on its back like it did at one point. Um, but maybe just the the inconsistencies of having to like play the Manaphy constantly and to play up against the Palkia decks, um, or even more decks that now play the Greninja like the Ice Rider is just going to be a little bit too much for it to keep up in the current meta, uh, for sure. So the deck that kind of took the European International Championships by storm was that Urshifu VMAX. Of course, Robin did win a regionals a few weeks before, but even after Robin won with Urshifu, it just was kind of not really on many people's radars going into yeah. to EUIC, and then all the top players played it. It absolutely dominated five out of the top eight spots, and then, of course, Gustavo ended up defending his European Internationals title with Rapid Strike Urshifu VMAX. Are we at a point in the meta where things could cycle back around to Urshifu being solid again, you know, with these Arceus decks? They're not playing those hard counters like they started to after EUIC, the Hoopa Vs, the Manaphy's, the Dunsparces. You're probably only going to see one of those three cards and pretty much never the Hoopa at this point anymore. Uh, Maybe. And I think, like, I'm not, but if you do, I think you do have to make that call and, like, you have to build the deck more consistent to be able to compete with Arceus and uh, oh, Palkia yeah. specifically, right? Like, I don't think you can play the the Moltres, the Hoopa, the Dark Package stuff to give yourself a shot against Mew. I think you basically have to give up on the Mew matchup and be like, all right, I'm giving up on the Mew matchup, but um, I'm going to be a little bit more consistent, a little bit more straightforward, have other options. The Yoga Looping with the Blastoise, the Radiant Blastoise is super cool. Loop some Sobbles, loop some Manaphys, whatever it might be. Uh, be more consistent, Do do more aggressive stuff. Uh, that Urshifu can do. Urshifu is a super powerful card, of course. Like, uh reason it fell off so hard is just because of Mew. And then Palkia came out, and it seemed like that was maybe also a struggle for Urshifu. But, I mean, Palkia can't really want to KO Urshifu, right? Like, they can't really do that. It's not something they can really actually do. So, uh, with that in mind, you know, Urshifu definitely could be uh, a solid choice. Like I said, I, if I was to build it right now, I'd build it with the idea of just, like, auto-losing to Mew, basically. Uh, but then trying to be as consistent so I can beat everything else. And with Mew being less popular, I definitely think there is room for Urshifu to definitely do well at, at Worlds, for sure. Yeah, the Radiant um, Blastoise, even, you'll go ahead. I, I could even see like you still playing the dark stuff and, and still doing okay, but like it just sure. feels so much harder to try and compete with Palkia specifically when your deck is that much clunk, that much more clunky. Yeah, I, w I was kind of thinking, like I think the obvious clear way to play it right now is with the radiant blastoise spreading that extra damage trying to yoga loop the manaphy and create the big like three prize turn where you're yoga loop KOing manaphy plus targeting sobbles and then martying your opponent afterwards or something like that to kind of put palki in a tough spot that's that's like a really strong setup um but i've wondered if over the blastoise maybe like you could build it as a kind of boxy deck with the radiant charizard and just have that like charizard is just such a strong card um you can just be more aggressive in boss's orders after the manaphy maybe and if they don't get it back yeah. you still have your gmax rapid flow and then leave yourself with room with the radiant charizard to just take one hit ko's on the v stars in the late game I, i've thought i haven't put any testing into it personally but i think the potential is definitely there for urshifu i agree with you i think taking the loss to mew is an okay path to go if you're urshifu you just got to roll the dice i mean honestly to win <laughs> worlds uh, you got to get a little lucky anyway. You got to hit good matchups. Yeah. It's, it's definitely got to be your day. Uh, but you got to pick a good deck and you got to play really well. So if you uh, think you can roll those, that dice and there's a decent chance that you're not going to hit any of those terrible matchups for the way you've built your deck, 
I, I say go with it. I think it could do well. Yeah, no, yeah, that's how I feel. Well, Urshifu definitely seems like it has a has a shot for sure. Definitely, uh, it's just so, so good. It's such a good card. <laughs> it's just been kind of under the radar for a while now. Yes. Um, <clears throat> up next we got the uh, I guess control deck of the format or whatever you want to call it, and that's of course Sanders Mewtwo Miltank, or I should say Mises Mewtwo Miltank, uh, Mewtwo V Union Miltank deck, um, which has been fairly popular. As of late, like set after NIC, people definitely picked it up, played with it. Um, and I think it's still, still very much a solid deck. I think the deck is good. I think it's becoming a little bit harder for it with control decks in general. An unpredictable meta, like we're kind of getting into with Worlds, especially when your goal is to win the tournament, is really hard for control decks. Like they really like to take advantage of a predictable meta, which we saw Sander and Meese do so well at NAIC, right? right. So I, I think it's going to be pretty tough for Mewtwo, Mewtwo View and Miltank, to be honest. You don't know if the, the Arceus decks are going to have the quick shootings and how many choice belts and this and that or or whatever. So, uh, But what do you think? How much have you uh, how much experience do you have against this deck since NAIC? Um, not a bunch. It's not something... I, I did play against it in that Carolina Series tournament, and I've played it a few times on the ladder as well. Um, but I was playing that... Uh, nine tails v so kind of a cute little tech for the, the mewtwo <laughs> my opponent put it in play and then i was like nine tails yeah here you go here's your, <laughs> your time to shine and it definitely uh, did did what it was meant to in that instance but uh actually looking at the play limitless page um i'm kind of surprised by these results but maybe not so much just because i think that people i think that the mewtwo miltank deck um is maybe a it's it's not as far as control decks go it's not the hardest control deck to play but it's still mm -hmm. you know people just aren't good at playing these types of decks but if you look at its win percentage it's 37 percent against palky Intellion and 38 percent against arceus Intellion, and those are two pretty good matchups for the deck i feel like <laughs> yeah. right <laughs> no, yeah those are definitely good matches i don't know if i've ever lost to a palky with the deck when i played it the palky matchup is pretty good but yeah Decks like this, they're just different. I had someone ask me about, you know, how do you play against this deck? Like, they were playing, I forget what deck they were playing. Well, it's like you, I mean, that's going to be hard for people to figure out too, right? How to play against it. Um, at least to the point, like, up to the point of playing it optimally. But at the very least, you know, you just have to swing and draw prize cards. So when your opponent doesn't know how to set up the Mewtwo and get it in play, um, or at least efficiently, then you just sitting there and swinging is going to beat them a uh, majority of the time that is actually really low <laughs> the policy <laughs> matchup is really good i think sometimes so... people get into uh, a sense of like or i guess as far as playing against these decks go i think sometimes people overestimate how much time they have and think like yeah i can yeah. take things slow i can slow things down when in reality you need to be aggressive you need to start swinging as quickly as possible and uh, like try to withhold as many resources as you can uh for the late game for for like you know whatever the final strategy is and maybe the you know part of the win percentage going down is like people have figured out kind of their keys to the matchup you know if you just knock if they only get one snorlax in play and you go knock it out plus marnie you know there's a decent chance that the mewtwo miltank deck's gonna struggle a little bit right um, yeah so you know maybe just some of those things have led to its win percentage not being as high as it maybe uh really should be yeah, definitely. That's a surprise. I didn't. I didn't have expected that. I, it has not been doing great in online tournaments no. recently. Like I always, I pay attention to a lot of the results of the online tournaments. I've not seen it up there very much as of late. Um, I think the deck is still very good, but going into Worlds, I'm not as big of a fan of it. Um, at least like I. De but one thing I guess I think is like at least in the Masters division, the Juniors and Seniors division, I think is a little bit more predictable for the most part. 
Um, uh, a little bit like maybe at the top end, it won't be as predictable. But for the Masters division, I think it's pretty unpredictable. Um, and that's why like you want to be one of those people who are also being unpredictable, right? You don't just want to show up with one of the decks that everyone expects. And I think the unpredictability just hurts control decks. And the Mewtwo at the end of the day, even though you can draw six prize cards in the game, it is a control deck. Um, with the way it functions in in the Pokemon trading card game, so it is a control deck at the end of the day, and unpredictability is not good for control decks. So not not looking great for it, I don't think overall. And the final deck that we have to talk about, there are obviously a few other ones here that you know could be decent as well. That we're not going to spend much time on them, uh, but the final one we will talk about specifically is Stone Joiner. So this is a deck that is really good at beating the top two decks. I think it's pretty solid against Palkia. It's pretty favored, heavily favored against Palkia. If Arceus and Tellian does not play Dunsparce, it's a very good matchup. And even if they have the Dunsparce, it's a pretty good matchup. Uh, but against the rest of the field, it's not great, I don't think. Yeah, and that is kind of the problem with the deck. And even then, like, yeah, especially with, like, stuff like Ice Rider and Dialga, like, those kind of decks. Yeah, the off-meta decks are just tough for, tough for Stone Journer. Um, and one of the questions we actually got on Twitter was from uh, Johnny Juicebox. One better way to play Stone Turner classic version with Energy Nile or Evo Evolution Incense, such a consistency route. Uh, Azul has been trying out. I definitely like the overall consistency route. The Energy Denial version was basically okay. I'm going to play Crushing Hammer and Flannery in my deck to still lose to Mew. So it's the only matchup they were really good against, and you still lost to Mew anyways. So. <laughs> why play them to begin with is kind of my, especially with Mew kind of going down in popularity. It was kind of like, okay, if you were, you know, a couple formats ago, it's like, okay, if you really want to play Stone Journer, uh, you got to play the energy now to sometimes squeak out a couple of games against Mew. Uh, but in the current meta, Mew being way less popular and it's still just being a bad matchup, no matter what, even if you play the Flannery's and the, uh, the crushing hammer, I just say, cut the energy denial, be more consistent against the, the Arkantel and the uh the palkia because you could if you draw poorly you can still lose those matchups they're favorable but they're not auto wins i would say by any means uh but i think the the rate once again it's another deck that kind of thrives off predictability of the meta and i think there's just too much unpredictability to to have stone turner be be a good call going into into worlds yeah in a super narrow meta if you only expect the top two decks palkia intellion and arceus intellion stone turner is the best imaginable play and that's reflected here in the limitless results it's got a 69 percent nice win percentage against palkia <laughs> intellion a 52 percent win percentage against arceus intellion i'd maybe expect that to be slightly higher and then against arceus yeah. flying pikachu it's 76 percent which is the, its best matchup it seems but if you look at every other matchup, it is just abysmal. 30% against Mew Genesec, 28% against Arceus Duraludon, 21% against Dialga, 33 versus Lunatone Solrock, and then Calyrex Intellion is 26% win percentage. So, I mean, if if, if you are so confident that the meta is going to be just those two decks, Stone Journer is the best imaginable play. But yeah. the re I, you and I don't think that the meta is going to be that defined uh, as far as like just, nope. I shouldn't say defined. It's not going to be that narrow to those two decks. It's going to be much more diverse. Yeah, day one, you might be able to squeak through. I think there'll be, I think the meta will be uh, higher counts of, of the decks in day one. Um, but and once you get to day two, I think it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of stuff. It's <laughs> just going to be a lot of different decks being played. I'm actually pretty excited to see what everyone actually ends up coming up with. And I hope I'm not disappointed. Um, I feel like the last Worlds we had 2019 was really predictable, and there was just a lot of Malamar, and Malamar was not very good, but there was a lot of Malamar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's so, a little different because there was, like, no meta, really. 
there was a huge question mark there because uh, yeah. no online tournaments that- and a rotation plus a new set, right? Like huge amount of question marks going into that world's. Um, and so I think that one's like maybe a little bit different. And honestly, Malamar, I think was better than it was represented at that world's, uh, because we ended up playing Malamar. Like I just farmed cups with Malamar, Grant and I, like through our area, like we played it so much. Uh, and that's just kind of something that goes through with the, um, you know, more time and like as a meta develops, right? Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of them were still playing Ultra Necrozma for some reason, so yes, that was part of that. Yes. <laughs> that was part of the issue for Malamar's results. I could excuse Tina's like okay, but Espeon Deoxys yeah. is like the broken card in that deck. Yeah, and then for finally, sure. yeah, we're not talking about the Worlds 2019 meta; <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> Worlds 2022. Last little question here. I know this episode is super long, so I really appreciate everyone sticking with us. I hope there's been. Uh, good information for our world's competitors who are listening. Uh, but the last question for this week, once again, we will be having more questions next week. So please ask them to us here on YouTube or over on Twitter. Uh, comes from Brennan Cameraman over on Twitter, who asks, what rogue deck is most likely to go far? So we kind of identified the top three decks being Arceus Intellian, Palkia Intellian, and Mu Max. So... I mean, I guess like several other things below that wouldn't necessarily be considered rogue, but what rogue deck yeah. Azul would you pick? Uh, maybe tier three or lower deck um, that has a chance to make top eight potentially. Because yeah, people like I've had the discussion about what does rogue mean before, like on my stream and stuff. And people like the general conclusion seems to be like the a deck can't be rogue if it's known. Um, sure. So theoretically, we couldn't predict it at all if we pick a known deck sure. uh but i but we could pick unpredictable i guess like i mean i think some kind of like uh i mean i would love to see oh i guess it's pretty real like some kind of zoro box i haven't been able to make sure. zoro box work yeah. it got slow bro though like um so i zoro box would be my pick i think uh for Cleavor, sure I, zoro box nah, i don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> i don't know about cleavor but zoro box uh that deck is always a ton of fun um, but uh, it does feel like it comes up just a little bit short, even despite the the addition of the slow bro. So I'm going to go with slow bro or Zora box. Yeah, I think that's definitely because uh, that's one that like someone could show up with it and it'll be built in a way that like we haven't seen it all online. Yeah, there's right? a lot of options, a lot of options for sure. Um, and I probably would just have to lean that way with you. I mean, I, th- I think there's always a chance like we saw some kind of unique flaffy decks pop up at a couple of the regionals this year, like a one prize or flaffy deck. Uh, Raichu V I think is an insanely hard hitting card that people shouldn't sleep on. And obviously the best deck in the format is weak to lightning. So there's always a chance someone shows up with something like that. That could do decently. Um, but I probably, you know, <laughs> mostly just picking that for the sake of picking something that's not Zoro box. Cause I think that is a pretty good, <laughs> a good answer, but I think with that, that is going to conclude our episode this week. Over an hour and 50 minutes, our longest episode ever. So I really appreciate everyone sticking with us. We really don't want these episodes to be this long. (laughs) But sometimes we just get to talking and hopefully the discussion was good and you stuck with us through it all. I do appreciate the love and support as always. Please be sure to leave a like here on the YouTube channel if you enjoyed or leave us a rating over on your favorite podcasting platforms. You can also follow us on social media. The podcast is at uncommon underscore energy, myself at trainer chip and Azul at Azul underscore GG. Azul is going to be competing 
at Worlds in just a week and a half. Super excited. We'll be rooting him on for sure. And yeah, thank you everyone so much for listening. Azul, anything else to add? Yeah, I yeah, appreciate y'all sticking around for uh, the almost two-hour cast. Uh, remember, questions uh, add us on Twitter or in the comment section here on the YouTube channel for next week's episodes, anything Worlds-related or you know close to it. And uh, then, yeah, check out the survey as well that we mentioned earlier Definitely. as well. Give your feedback to PTCG Live so they can hopefully you know improve uh, and come out with a good product at the end of this whole this whole beta fiasco thing going on. So. Uh, the link to the survey will be in the description, so go check it out there and uh, make sure you put your opinion in if you did uh, have a chance to play PTCG Live. That's going to do it for me. Thanks for the support as always, and we'll catch you all next week. Peace.